I'm Jason Thomas. Welcome to the Hardway MBA, where we empower ambitious corporate professionals. That's you, right? With real-world business knowledge. We interview business leaders who are gracious enough to share their strategic insights and tactical activities to improve your business and career. If you enjoy these interviews, please spread the word because nothing says thank you as well as a referral to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, folks. Jason Thomas with The Hard Way MBA. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. I've got a, a, a wonderful guest I'm excited to introduce you to. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to invite you over to Snapchat for a minute. Uh, look me up, Jason R. Thomas. At perf- excuse me. Let me let me start that over. Jason R. Thomas is my handle on Snapchat. I do a Hard Way MBA question of the day once a day, only on Snapchat. It's the best place to see it. If you're on that platform, take a look. If you're uh, if you're old like me and you're not on that platform, I don't blame you. Uh, so our guest today uh, is Chris Hawkins. Chris and I met uh, several months ago uh, while talking about working together on an opportunity, but you know that didn't work out. But I was very impressed with Chris and his background, and invited him on to share a little bit about that. So instead of me kind of running through your background, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself in a, a sentence or two? Sure. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate you having me on. So my name is Chris Hawkins. I am a director of corporate development here at Sun Edison based in St. Louis, Missouri. And for the past uh, about year and a half, I've been responsible for the integration of companies that we acquire uh, in North America. And I've recently shifted into a role that has me setting up a global shared services center. But, um, you know, Really, the, my background for the past couple of years has really been more on uh, mergers and integrations, as I like to call it. Yeah, cool. So one of the things that uh, I think is really interesting about your background, Chris, is you're you know working at Sun Edison now and doing the M and A work you're doing. You've worked at you know very large consulting firms in the past. You you did a lot of work with PwC, as I recall from your uh, your LinkedIn profile. Those are two. Different environments, you know, working in-house corporate type and the consulting world. Can you would you mind comparing those two for us a bit? Yeah, no, that's a good good question, Jason. So yeah, I spent um, about eight nine years with PwC on the audit side, and so I did my undergrad and my graduate work in, in accounting, and so loved it. And one of the things that I started to realize as I had did more interacting outside of just the the audit and the assurance world, I started doing some more advisor work and getting uh, more exposure to you know, non-accounting operations. And so it be it finance, be it sales and marketing. And, and what I really realized there was in the, the audit world, which is a fantastic profession to be in, I could speak that language so proficiently. So if you think the romance languages, right, I could speak French i.e. auditing and accounting extremely well. But when it came to finance or when it came to sales or when it came to HR, IT marketing, I just, I just really couldn't speak them that well. And so uh, when I stepped into the role, one of the things that drew me to Sun Edison was a role that allowed me to basically learn all those other languages. And um, in my integration role, it was, you know, like I said, it, the other analogy I use is it's a swimming pool and I could you used to be able to swim 10 feet deep in the corner now I can swim the whole pool back and forth. Um, I may only go three or four feet deep, but I kind of have that that broad that broad viewpoint. So I think that was the biggest change for me in going from uh, my consulting work to uh, being in the business side of it 
yep. was that my scope changed so significantly um, as I made that transition. Yeah, that's it, it's interesting. Do you see differences in in culture? And I asked this question knowing that you know you're setting up a shared service model, so in some ways you are a consultant to other mm-hmm. members of your business. So you're you may not have this uh, uh, a tight uh, accounting role, so to speak, that that allows you to see all the differences that that others may. Um, but do you see a cultural difference from the accounting world into the uh, the in-house corporate roles? Oh, it's yeah, a, a vast a vast difference from uh, the 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 public accounting world, you know, the consulting world to in-house. Um, kind of the whole the whole mindset mindset is a little bit different. Um, in terms of when you're serving in a, a, a client service role, your your objectives are are kind of a little bit different than when you are in house in a client service role. Because at the end of the day, for better or worse, if this if this whatever we're working on, be it an integration or the in the global shared service we set up, I'm still going to be here. And even if I've sh- moved on to a different role, um, as long as I'm still within the company. You know, I've got my name attached to it, right. and you know, and when you're on the again on the, on the consulting side, you maybe your company your company's name is attached to it, so either the PwC or the Deloitte or whomever, and the, the the wins and the losses are kind of they're they're muffled together because it's all of the work that the company does, um, as opposed to right now I've just got my name attached to a lot of things. So I think there's a kind of a higher level of accountability. Mm-hmm. That inherently exists because people know you're going to be around. You build the house, you have to live in it. Um, is is kind of how I think about it. I think the other the other thing that just from a, a company culture perspective, um, when I worked at PwC, the, the culture was fantastic. I mean, it was uh, it, it, the kind of the pyramid model that's in place there at most consulting firms. You know, right. with the, the partners at the top, and you know, you've, you've, as you grow, as you move up, there's just fewer and fewer people at the different levels. Mm-hmm. But you've I mean the 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 drive of the people at that that younger level mm-hmm. is is phenomenal, and then the people that have moved up, you know, all really wanted to stay there. And sometimes when you get into the into the um, into corporate, there are people that you know are make decisions to stay at a at a certain level for an extended career, extended part of their time. So you really have to know when you're dealing with different types of people, you know, what the best way is to motivate them yep. to you know, be on board with what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think you've got a very, uh, you got a very articulate way of putting that, that, uh, you know, people's motivations are what they are. You don't need to, you, we don't need to judge them. We just need to understand what their motivations are and how can, if we can sway them to our way of thinking, then, you know, perhaps they'll work with us on that, that initiative. If we can't, yeah. then they probably won't. Now we know that. Yeah, um, leading by influence is kind of what I've I've deemed it is yeah. because rarely do I have a team of you know my my reporting relationships I could have five direct reports and then all of a sudden I'm on a small product and I have one direct report and but you still need the same amount of work to get done yeah. and being able to get people to do what you need them to do for the best interest of the company even when you don't have a hard line into you um, that is a skill that I don't think it matters what you're doing. It can be somebody inside the business, outside the business, you know, supplier, whatever. Getting getting everybody singing from the same sheet of music is probably one of the most invaluable tools at any company. I think uh, 
that I've, I've had to learn how to, how to flex. Do you feel like, do you feel like that's something that you've learned more uh, since joining Sun Edison or you, you brought some of that with you from the consulting days and now you're, you're having to, you're seeing the opportunities to practice that a lot more? Started to develop it probably a little bit in the, in the consulting world because you, you do need to get people to you know, kind of go along with what you're, you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was easier there though, because uh, typically the relationship between the client and the, and the, us as the service provider was pretty good. And everybody knew we were marching towards the same direction. We were there to, to complete the audit. So for better or worse, you, you almost had to participate. Everybody had to participate. Right. When you're in the corporate world, yeah, I may be asking you to do something. If your boss isn't aligned with what I'm what I'm asking you to do yep. in the auto world, it almost always is the case. But in, in the corporate world, it's oftentimes not the case. And so you've got to navigate a lot more. You know, you may have to go up a level or two levels and and get the right buy-in. Otherwise, I don't write your review, but I'm asking you to do something. Your boss also asking you to do something, and he writes your review. He or she does nine times out of nine. They're going to do what the boss says and not what you need. And then, you know, it, it gums up the whole process. And right. if the way you're running a, you know, a project or whatever operations you're running, you know, you're assuming that everybody's going to be on board. And if you have to do whatever it takes to get the people on board. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's flip over and talk for a minute about what you've been doing at Sun Edison for the last few years. I mean, you mentioned you think about it as mergers and, and integration. Kind of unpack that a little bit. Give us some of the context about uh, of what you've done, because I think that will leave us with some other other topics to go through. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. So, in my role as director of uh, North American Integrations uh, for the past you know, year and a half or so, I mean, really, what that boils down to, we buy two types of project, two types of of companies: some that have people and some that don't have people. And that's how we how we kind of divided up the world. Um, when we say companies without people, that'd be projects, wind projects, solar projects, um, as opposed to a, a company with people, which is a platform, uh, such as the first wind deal we did uh, about a year ago, where it came with you know 250 people. It was an entire company, and they were on the development side. HR, finance had the had the whole gamut of of groups. So I focus on uh, on the like the latter with the uh, with the people. And so really, what um, that means is. We've we had a kind of a split house between there was one group that was out you know, finding the deals and then there's another group my group that was responsible for integrating them mm-hmm. and you know we learned or we'd always had the team that was out doing doing the deals and but we never had the team that was implementing or integrating the deals and yeah this isn't you know, Cold War secrets here it you know buy the company is not an easy thing to do but once you bought it you bought it and Making it work, there's a lot of work that goes into making it work. You can't just throw it over the wall and expect the two accounting teams just to to coexist perfectly, or the operations teams to coexist and and get things done. And so that's where it's really been trying to figure out how you take company A and company B, one of which is Sun Edison and the other, you know, which is whatever company we're buying, and figure out how you come up with the optimal business model to extract the most value. Um, and, and make it a, a, a win for the for the combined company. So I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's uh, it's something that uh, you know mergers and acquisitions seem to me to be shrouded in secrecy. Sometimes it's uh, 
uh, you're in the middle of them, so less so for you. But I think for most of us on the outside looking in, we read about them in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, and that's all we know. The nuts and bolts of how how those big deals get done are kind of opaque. And then the uh, the in the weeds of how that integration actually happens is maybe even more opaque. Um, so when do you or would your team that was on the integration side, when would you guys typically get involved in – in a deal was it kind of pre pre terms pre transaction or or post yep so between here and then and work i've done previously i've I've seen it both ways where you bring in the integration team you know really close to when the deal gets signed yeah and then um those are the ones that typically don't work well because there's a lot of decisions that are made uh by people who may not understand how are the businesses are actually going to come together? So if you think it all ties back to the you know the valuation model, and if we say company A is currently making a million, company B is currently making two million, we combine the companies. They better make more than three. Um, but you know what what is that number? Is it one plus two plus some synergies equal seven? Whatever that number is, you've got to have somebody who actually knows where that number is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically marrying up the team that's you know pulling you know. Lead, leading the deal, the team that's going to be responsible for making it happen after the fact, um, and you know, whatever other parties you need to kind of get in there to make sure that there's alignment. Because if you don't have that, it's really hard to throw something over the wall and expect somebody to say, you know, I don't know where these five million dollars of synergies are going to come from. It's I've seen it I've seen it play out that way, and it always ends bad. As opposed to if you bring everybody to the table early on in the game and you say, all right, there, there here's these $5 million of synergies, you know, the one plus one plus the five equals the seven. For my previous example, you have someone who says, yeah, f- five is the right number and, and high level. Here's what we need to do to accomplish that. And then from, from there, you've, you, you know, you've kind of got your financial bogeys that you need to hit and you can figure out, well, how are you going to achieve that? You know, when we when we combine these two entities, is it cost savings? Is it additional revenue streams, new book of business, whatever it is? But you have to get the integration team. And I say you'll hear me call it mergers and integrations as opposed to mergers and acquisitions, because a merger and acquisition is basically the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. you, you just say it a different way, yep. but it's it's very there's depends on what side of the table you're on and how it feels best to you that, hey you're exactly <laughs> right it's a it's an acquisition if you're buying it's it's, it's a merger if you're being if you're being bought I mean, that's, that's really right. what it boils down to so the the integration side of it is is what i think it, and, and really at this point it's always a merger or and it's always an acquisition depending on who you talk to the integration side is really where the devil's in the details because yep. that's where you're actually going to extract the value um i had a, I had a good senior advisor say you know buying companies is easy making them work together is really hard Yep. Um, and I think I think there's some truth to that. So the long winded answer is that you should get involved um, you know, during diligence to make sure that there's assumptions that you're going to be held accountable for down the road yep. are realistic assumptions. And if it's and if it's you, if it's the you know, the, the business leader who's going to be responsible for achieving it as well, you've really kind of got to have that that perfect harmony. And you know sometimes the business leader who's going to be responsible for integrating the deal is the same one who's driving the deal. And, and that's a, a really good situation to be in as long as there's enough checks and balances to, you know, let people say, yeah, this, you know, we're, we're not crazy with what we're trying to accomplish. Right. right. So what you're talking about there brings up a couple of, uh, a couple of ideas for me. One is a, a kind of a, an under the covers question that uh, answer if you can and, and don't, mm-hmm. if you can't. 
Um, I don't think it's asking for anything specific to what you guys have done, so it should be okay. Um, when when these deals get publicized, it, it's apparent to me that there's been a substantial amount of work that's gone into making that deal happen before it hits the papers um, or the internet. The uh, How much work? What kind of – I mean you just kind of walked through some of the steps that you guys are going through. Um where in that process or in that life cycle of a deal is do they typically become public knowledge? It's not until the deal gets signed. So if you think of a typical life cycle in terms of you've got you know, two parties that just start having a conversation, there's probably an NDA signed between yeah. the two. Then you say, all right, well, we're going to start our diligence. At some point, you've got some type of preliminary preliminary term sheet maybe at that point. Um but once the actual deal, you go through diligence and you sign, uh, you know, the, the PSA, that, that's the, the purchase and sale agreement. That's when it usually becomes public. So there's a ton of work done between that initial cup of coffee and when that, you know, the, the deal gets signed. So at that point, then it's just kind of, you know, to the customary closing procedures, yeah. make sure all the financing, everything's in place, you know, the re- remaining diligence. That's usually when you, when you find out, um, then the, 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 the period from sign to close, you know, it could vary significantly depending on the nature of the deal. Right. Yeah. How many, how many different regulatory bodies have to sign off on exactly. those kind of things? Yeah. Yep. So uh, of the, the process you walked through, all of that's happening before uh, we on the outside of a deal know about it. So that's your, right. your integration team is coming in and sitting down and, and going through KPIs and, and different biz, different points of that business, seeing how they're going to align with, uh, you know, the Sun Edison business, where are the synergies, where can we capture additional value? All of that's well before the public becomes aware. That's right. I mean, in, in my view, the, the right answer is when the deal is signed, there's a price associated with it. And that mm-hmm. price should have a model that supports it. Yep. And that gets back to the one plus one plus the synergies equals whatever number. Right. And there there should be, you know, it doesn't have to be, in, in, you know, totally granular how you achieve those synergies, mm-hmm. but it's got to be really, you know, someone that has to be, there's to be some, some logic yeah. behind it and someone that's going to be accountable for that. Uh, Cause if you don't have that, it's, it's hard to go back and even you can, but it's hard to go back and change the price. You're, right. You have a much better you know, position of leverage to get all your ducks in a row beforehand. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about those, uh, those specific areas that you're looking for synergies. Um, you mentioned a couple cost savings. I mean, if we have cost savings may come in the idea of two companies come together, they have duplicate processes. Well, you can cut out one of those processes. You don't need two entire accounting teams um, necessarily. Um, right. And you can HR, you can kind of look department by department, process by process and see those. Um, new business, uh, walk us through what you guys are looking for. Um, yeah. In in that in those areas, sure. Yeah, I mean, it really does. You know, simplest simplistically, it breaks down into two bucks. You know, the cost savings or driving revenue. You can yeah. you can get a little more granular, but you know, the the cost saving piece is either there's things that business A currently does that we aren't going to do anymore. That's that's a really easy one. You know, they're out selling widgets, and we're not a widget company when we when we, when we buy them. So. You know, you can you can you can spin stuff off, spin items off there, and that's going to create you know cost savings. May also cost you a little revenue though. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but the the duplicative back office functions that's usually a, a you know a primary spot where except you've got duplicative HR teams and you just don't you don't need necessarily two HR VPs. Um, you may depending on the size of the company, but you know that's that's yeah. a real target rich environment. Um, you know the, the more interesting piece uh, and and really. I mean, you'll see you'll see mergers done for both for both pieces of it. Um, if you've got very complementary supply chains, is another one yeah. where we're you know I operate across the street from you. It's going to be really really easy to leverage. You know, the we don't have to have two trucks come and visit us now. We just have yeah. to have one. Right. As opposed to if I'm operating in St. Louis and you're in Kansas City, we're still going to have to keep both supply chain operations. Yeah. So that's one that's you know not a back office function, but it, it, it ties more into the business model. The the other side of it though, and, and really where um, you know it, it can it can the, the numbers can grow kind of exponentially is on the on the you know the revenue side yeah. where you can say I've got this book of business and you know we're selling you know whatever services we are to our customers. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've you've got a service that's going to be extremely complimentary to my customers that we've never actually marketed that way. And, and, and by bringing it in, we can basically cross sell to each other. And so you've, right. you've kind of doubled you've doubled the business. You've, you've kept what you got and then you and you've doubled it as well. So there's instances like that. Um, you know, there there may be partners that each side has that you can you can leverage you know those relationships. Um there's all sorts of you know, technology that one company has or the other. There's a lot of neat ways that you can you can drive drive the revenue there. You know, cost roadmap um, exercises. It there's not like a oh you just have to go down this checklist. Right. Uh, this is how right. we're going to you know think it through think through um, the business because sometimes it's it's businesses that you wouldn't actually think would necessarily come together sure. always. Um, and sometimes. It, you're you're totally betting on the come of in five years we think this technology is going to be you know really beneficial to us um, you know as, as, as a solar materials company that San Edison has you know we bought a lot of technology in the past that's paid a lot of dividends but it took five six years before you know those those things came to fruition yeah and I think I'm glad you mentioned that because I see uh, I see larger more mature companies. Uh, acquiring smaller organizations that look like they're the innovators in the space and and then those innovators in the space disappear for a time and then automatically five years later something crazy happens and this mature company is looks like an innovator you know the innovation may or may not have actually happened within that mature organization and I don't right. know how any of this applies specifically to Sun Edison, but you look across the board at technology companies and software is a great place to do it. You can see it. You can see it everywhere. It's all over. Yeah. No, um, you're, you're, you're you look at Adobe right. and they're they're constantly acquiring new technologies, folding them into their platform and creating the best marketing platform in the in the world. They didn't do all that creation. They didn't innovate all of that. Right. Um. So. I've always thought, and I, I'm hoping you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, that in each transaction that you start to look at, there's probably one big value driver. There's something that you can look at and say, all right, with that transaction, we can see um, we can see that it's going to integrate us uh, horizontally and give us you know, a, a lot more value because of X, Y, Z, or because of X, not Y and Z, just X. It's just one factor. Um, 
and then there's uh and then you go through all of the other things that you just talked about and kind of add those on but they're all value add additional pieces where there's probably one big driver like this piece of technology three years from now is going to be something we really need um is that accurate or is that am i completely missing something there because i think that's a an assumption a lot of us make yeah and the answer is kind of it depends i think it's either yeah, there may be something that's really, really obvious, like you're, you know, just buying the technology. But I, I'd say the bigger thing is, is, is there a theme associated with it? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, um, you know, entrance into a market. It's, it's probably hard to like peg. Um, so I'll take the, you know, the first wind deal again, public, public deals that are out there. I mean, we did it because we wanted to enter into the wind market and we, and we wanted to do that, you know, via a couple via a couple of ways it was getting the right people getting the right suppliers um, getting the right operating projects all three of those were probably and depending on who you talk to in the organization would say one was more important than the other yeah. but but directionally you know it was getting in, in getting into wind and so I think that's probably what I'd say and sometimes maybe it is just the one thing that the theme also ties to just a single huge X, like you said. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, X may may have subcomponents of X1, X2, and X3. And then, you know, there's the cost savings, which is a small value driver, and and you know maybe some t- other type of relationship that's you know Y and Z. Right. So I'd, I'd start with yes, but it, it depends. Yeah. Makes and that makes sense. So. The folks that listen to this podcast, by and large, are ambitious corporate professionals. Um, if knowing you as I do, I, uh, I consider you one of those people. Um, if you had to give the audience one piece of tactical advice, something that they could, you know, put into practice today, that's going to help them do what they do. And keep in mind, there's folks like myself listening to this. I'm in I'm in sales. There's folks in marketing. There's folks in corporate development, like you are. So it's a the audience is pretty diverse mm-hmm. um, for a reason. The uh, the topics are pretty diverse. Um, what what type of ad- advice would you give that uh, that we can put into practice today that, that might help us go where we want, get sure. where we want to go? Yep. So it's kind of a strategic start, but then it ends with a tactical piece. I mean, everything <clears throat> everything has to drive some type of value. And, and if we, in the integrations, we do, it ties back to, you know, what, what are the value drivers of, you know, how are we going to achieve those $5 million in synergies? Okay. Well, we've, we've come up with whatever, whatever they are, um, at a macro level, that's, you know, it could take six months to, to make some of those things happen. But, uh, but on a daily level, I mean, I know I still bring that same philosophy in terms of, I know what I need to get done today. I, I, I have a, a to-do list every day yep. and, you know, when I sit down, I try to keep my mornings generally quite clear and whatever the one or two things I have to get done that day, I, I focus on them first. And earlier in my career, I would focus on the low hanging fruit. And what that meant is that I got a lot of low hanging fruit done. But the stuff that actually, you know, different people really cared about wasn't always getting done. But by flipping that upside down, you know, maybe doing the thing that's going to take four hours and I may only get one item checked off my list out of the, out of the, the 10 that are on there, but it's the, the one that matters most as mm-hmm. opposed to getting five or six done in the morning, 
a fire drill coming up in the afternoon, which always happens, right? And then the one thing I had to get done didn't get done. And then so it sits on my list tomorrow. And then now it's, I have actually something that's more important that's on there. And so what was, what was really important and still remains important is going to get kind of pushed down and nobody's going to care that I got these other, I got my expense report done. You know, nobody really cares (laughs) about that. Um, Even though it was a, you know, it made me feel good to check it off the list. So I, I think it's really just taking a step back and, and saying, yeah, what, what's my, you know, highest, uh, highest and best use of my time or my highest priority outcome today and, and making sure you get that done and take a few minutes at the beginning of the day to reflect on that. Don't just sit down at your desk and start replying to all the emails at the top of your inbox. Yeah. Things like competition, which I, I think is really good from, I, I really enjoy game theory, but that doesn't always apply. Um, there's, you know, 3d negotiations. I like, I think, you know, in, in terms of, got to make a lot of compromises, but again, that doesn't apply to everyone's daily, daily activities. So it gets back to something I said about you know, kind of leading by influence, which is something I've had to do a lot in my career. And, um, so Dale Carnegie's winning friends and influencing people that one, yeah, the principles in that, I, I don't think it really matters what you do. Mm-hmm. It's some of it's, I think a lot of it is kind of common sense, but sometimes it's good to look at it and, and say, Oh yeah, just kind of reflect and, and how you're interacting with people. Because if you can get people on board with you, um, you can get a lot done. And, you know, obviously you need to have the right strategy and the right, you know, the right goals. But if you have even the right strategy and the right goals, if you don't have people supporting you, I think it's hard to be successful. So that that was the one that I that I landed on. It's probably been applicable um, to me and and almost everything I've ever done. And I think would be to, to most of the listeners as well. Yeah, good. Good selection. I, uh, I'm glad you ran through a couple of the others. I've read How to Win Friends and Influence People a couple of times. Um, I, I, I think it's also a, a fundamental piece of knowledge. Mm-hmm. You've got to have it if you're going to succeed. I want to look at some of the others for myself, um, so I may link to those as well yeah. um, in the show notes here. Uh, so, Chris, if people want to get a hold of you, um, and uh, even if it's just to say thank you for you know, sharing your insights and your time with us on the podcast – um, what's the best way for, for folks to do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. So, uh, always, always looking for new people to connect with, uh, that way. Um, you know, you can shoot me a, a note, even my work email address, which is chawkins at sunedison.com. And, uh, you know, always looking, looking to meet new people and, uh, understand different businesses that are out there. Um, and, you know, I, I always willing to get a cup of coffee as well if you're in the St. Louis area. Cool. Chris, thanks so much for your time today. Hey, thank you, Jason. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hardway MBA. Look us up on Twitter at Hardway MBA. Our website's hardwaymba.com. Facebook, LinkedIn, we've got groups everywhere. If you don't guess we should be talking to, please make an introduction. Nothing says thank you to me like referring this podcast to your friends. Drop a link to them. Let them know they should listen. Thank you so much. At Hardway MBA. Our website's hardwaymba.com. Facebook, LinkedIn, we've got groups everywhere. If you don't guess we should be talking to, please make an introduction. Nothing says thank you to me like referring this podcast to your friends. Drop a link to them. Let them know they should listen. Thank you so much.